walking out my door and taking pictures through a lens of mine. Boy, I'm on the hill, don't stop me there. Hot the tea, I'm shopping up at Copley Square. Maybe hit the sequel, send I dream about a beach house. Sneak onto a porch and scream about all of the feelings that I got. In my pocket, pocket. Till then, I'm just talking, talking. I've been missing since the weekend. Ask myself, what are you thinking? No reply. No surprise. Been planning since I met you, though it's hard to with the sun up in my eyes. Yeah, the pride. Welcome to the Average Baseball Players Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest and someone who is anything but an average baseball player. He's someone who played for the Brewers, Cardinals, Nationals, Rockies, Braves, and Cubs in a 10-year career from 1999 to 2008. He had 593 appearances, including 411 innings that he logged with a 3.46 ERA and a 2.35 ERA in the playoffs, including a zero ERA in the 04 World Series. He did the impossible when he struck out David Ortiz in game two of the World Series. It is the one and only, the champion of our ABP bracket, Ray King. How you doing? No, well, yourself? I'm doing very well. I really pre- appreciate you joining us. Anytime, anytime. You know, right, I'm so, just an average, average day going. <laughs> just an average day going? What have you done so far? Nothing. <laughs> hey, but when you've had the career that you've had, you could you deserve days like that, you know. I appreciate. It. I tell everybody, you know, one day in the big leagues was a dream. Ten years was a fantasy. So, um, you know, enjoying the fruits of my labor these days. Yeah, you earned it, and uh, I love to hear that you're enjoying it. Um, I want to run through a couple stats before I ask this first question. So, um. If you were facing Ray King and you were a lefty, odds are he was getting you out. So these are some notable stats some, against some really good hitters uh, that faced him a lot. Sean Casey in 34 at-bats hit 176, no home runs. Adam Dunn, 27 at-bats, no home runs. That's good for a 148 average. Chipper Jones, who's a switch hitter, 182 with no home runs. And then you got Ken Griffey Jr., 2 for 18, no home runs. And Barry Bonds, 1 for 17 in his career. Ray, I got to ask, what was your approach to all these great hitters? Did you change guy to guy? Did you study each one or what? Well, I just had that mentality where my job was to get that lefty out. So no matter who it was, if the guy just came up from tripway or facing Barry Bonds, I felt like I was better than you that day, and I challenged them. You see a lot of lefties, they want to try to trick them and sinkers and curveballs and all that. I just relied on a two-seam fastball let it run, and then finish it with the slaughter, try to get it down and beat it in the ground because the less pitches they saw, less chance they had to hit me. That's true. Yeah. And uh, so you had all these moments and you faced all these great guys in your career. Was there ever an at-bat that you went into or before an at-bat or before a game that you were looking forward to the most when you first got to the big leagues? Or was there a guy you're looking forward to the most when you first got in? Well, for me, growing up watching the game of baseball and you know looking at the lefty hitters over the over the years, mine was chance to face Tony Gwynn. You know, oh, wow. 
you get a chance to face him. You know, I throw the first pitch. I'm like, all right, I try to see if I can make him move his feet, move his hands, and he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble because usually with a lefty, you know, you can run it in, make him move his feet, or throw it away. That lean out over there. But Tony Gwynn just had the same approach to where you come in, he turn on it. You go away, he go with it. You make a mistake, he will go yard. To where you know you go to San Diego and people come out of the clubhouse just to watch Tony Gwynn take batting practice. So yeah. face him and end up giving up a hit. And then talking to him to where he's like, it's like a game of chess. If you don't give them an edge, I always have the edge. And, you know, you look at some of the Hall of Fame pitchers, look at numbers against Maddox, Moats, Glavin to where probably the most professional hitter there is. And so I say I face him, but he had better success. <laughs> I mean, he did that against everybody. I don't think he hit under 300 in a full season ever. So uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of that set. No, I think I looked at his weird number where he can go – he can play a whole year and not get a hit and still be a 300 hitter. Yeah, it's – it's his stats are – I just love looking at from time to time. It's simply amazing. Yeah, because you look at him as like, you know, he struck out, what, 15 times in a season. You got Carlos Stanton struck out eight times in a doubleheader. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he really could have used Tony's uh, coaching, I'd say. But uh, Right. Um, you mentioned Greg Maddox, and I wanted to ask about him because I saw you were teammates with him on the Braves for a year. And I, you hear all these stories about him being a prankster in the clubhouse. Do you have a Greg Maddox story that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, you kind of, you know, it's borderline PG, not PG 13. <laughs> yeah, you can say whatever you want on this podcast. He would walk in the clubhouse, and uh, if you remember Mike Malecki, a pitcher uh-huh. as well. Yeah, and grad- Max would come out of the bathroom. He's like, "Hey, Black, you see my toothbrush?" And he's like, "If it's stuck up your end, you'll see it." And he'll walk by with <laughs> a toothbrush sticking out. So, but Maddox is a guy. You know, if you saw him on the streets, you never think he was a Hall of Fame pitcher. Yeah, he would come in the clubhouse with his glasses on, you know, tennis shoes with no shoestrings on, dipping his upper lip, mm-hmm. and put on a uniform and go eight innings with eighty-five pitches with ten, ten punchouts. Like, yeah, it's just unreal. And then before you got over there, his ball would move so much, you would think, okay, he's doing something different. And then when I got traded over there, he kind of like taught me how to pressure point on your sinker to where your thumb is your rudder. So he move it up and down. He's like, watch, I'm going to throw it at his at his chest. I'm going to hit him in his shin just playing catch. His ball will move a foot. Yeah. And you're like, God, this guy is magical. Yeah. Did you ever get to play catch with him? Because I imagine that'd be pretty tough. No, I like playing catch beside him. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a great call, yeah. Because I wanted, yeah, I was a sponge. When I got over there, just, you know, with him and Maddox and uh, Smoltz and some other guys to where even though I had got four or five years in the big leagues at that time, but just listen to guys talk about the game and watch them how they go about the game to where just, you know, them are guys are most competitive to where they're studying the game. And then on the fifth day, they like, you know, like an artist, they're just going to paint and carve you up. Mm-hmm. And were most of those guys where – were they the type of guys where you'd be afraid to approach them on their start days or were they guys that you could go up to before the game and ask for some advice or how would you, how would you approach them? Well, a lot of them guys, you know, Maddox at that time was a situation to where, let me decline. Everybody's calling me now. (laughs) And, you know, where you just, you know, before it starts, he's always out on the field. So you just walk up and ask a question and he'll just be a, book information he's not going to got to look you know approach you but if you approach him mm-hmm. it's always he's he's there for you but smokes was a guy was most competitive we'll be standing in the outfield and like you know the scenes between the 
padding, like, all right, let's see if you can stick a ball in there the first. But yet while we're doing that, yeah. he's like, okay, you know, I'm aiming here. My sight line is here. So if I, I'm a sight line here, I'm going to go here. So even though you plan a game competitive, there's always a strategy to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, with them guys, it's just, like I said, you're a sponge. You're trying to absorb as much as you can. Yeah. And it's just doing little things like that, staying competitive at all times. Um, that's that's what you got to do to be great. And uh, what I want to ask you is, when did you realize that you were great and you had the chance to make the big leagues? Was there a moment in Little League or was it at uh, – you You were an eighth-round pick out of Lambeth University at NAIA school. Um, was it at that point or was it sometime before that? You know, the really thing is, like, you know, when you're a kid, you always dream about playing in the big leagues. I remember going into Bush Stadium when I was 11, 12, 13 – looking at my grandfather and say, I'm going to pitch here one day. You know, yeah. you plant a seed and you work at it, you work at it. And it didn't really hit me until my junior year in college to where every start I had 10, 12 st- scouts every start to where if I'm mm. pitching in Jackson, Lambeth, I'm going to Nashville, go down to Florida to where I was like, hey, I may have a chance of getting drafted. And then we get drafted in the eighth round. You go play in, um, you know, rookie ball and then you go to double A and then you go to big league spring training to where you see these guys and it's like man I'm just as good as these guys mm-hmm. and when I finally got that call you know when I was in triple A with the with you know Cubs saying hey you're going to the big leagues and it really don't hit you until you walk on the mound the first time and I remember going to Atlanta warming up my heart's pounding and then you walk into that stadium and you get on the mound you warm up you're like okay I'm here and then it hits you like you know now I'm batting number 10 Chipper Jones stadium go crazy you like you got to stop for a minute it's like while I'm here. Yeah. And then, you know, I get that first pitch, get a ground ball, and it seemed like everything was in slow motion. You know, get the out, and I'm walking off, and I'm just like, I just pitched in the big leagues. And then, you know, years pass by, and then probably about your third year when you really get yourself established where you go to spring training, it's like, okay, I know I'm on a team. I know I can get my you know place to live. I can ship my cars. I know what juries I'm going to have. I, mm-hmm. I know April 2nd we're going to be playing in – Milwaukee, I know I can invite friends to where once you know you made it, that's that feeling like, okay, I got here, now I'm here to stay, and now I got to get a footprint on it. And then I just went out every day expecting to pitch because my grandfather always told me, he who fails a plan plans to fail. So mm-hmm. I plan on pitching every day. Yeah. And uh, so you had that moment where you first appeared against the Braves. I can't imagine how good you must have felt after that. But was it that moment or was it facing Tony Gwynn that was the most nervous you've ever been in your baseball career? Or was it the World Series? What moment do you think would be uh, winning that title? Well, I tell everybody I'm nervous between every appearance because mm-hmm. every appearance is a different appearance to where, you know, you're warming up and you're okay, looking at, okay, we're up by run. There's running on second and third. I'm going to face Sean Casey, King Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds to where – I tell everybody, as a reliever, you can do your job nine out of ten times, and at one time you don't do your job, that's when the media want to talk to you, or yeah. that's when it shows up on, on Sports Center. Or, like, yeah. What about the other nine times? So you, you learn then to where if you don't have butterflies before every appearance, then you're not human because I tell everybody, you're doing something what a million people want to do, and, you know, I got them butterflies going until I get on that mound, I'll probably say play ball, and then, I'm looking at the hitter like, hey, I'm better than you, and today let's battle. Mm-hmm. And I may get you, and I may not, but at that point, you're like, let's do it. Yeah. It, it kind of seems like a thankless job. Like you said, the nine out of ten times you do your job, and that tenth time you don't get it done. It's kind of like being a kicker in the NFL or something. Um, but right. you did – so you did start as a starter in the beginning of your pro career, correct? Yeah. When I got drafted, uh, 
like I tell everybody, I probably did probably the stupidest thing I'd done before is like when I finished, you know, last my last year in college, right when I got drafted, we're playing in a conference tournament. So mm-hmm. I threw seven innings on a Monday. Yeah. And came back and threw seven innings on a Thursday. <laughs> and came back and closed on a Sunday. Oh and, you know, that's when I knew I had a rubber arm. But when I, you know, we, we got beaten and I went to Billings, Montana, and they came in. It's like, okay, I know you're a starter, but you threw a lot of innings over the last month and a half that most people threw in the whole season. So we're going to put you in a bullpen. Yeah. And that's why I was in Billings, Montana. But then when I went back the next year, I went back in the starter. So I started, you know, A ball and double A. And then when I got to triple A, you know, they, you know, with the Cubs and Marty Dermare, my pitching coach, he's like, I got a question for you, you know, from the brass. They said, would you rather be a starter in AAA or reliever in the big leagues? I was like, I'd rather be a reliever in the big leagues. So yeah. that's when I start pitching out of the bullpen. And the next year I got traded to Milwaukee and Davey Lopes kind of like, hey, kid, here's your ball. It's your job to lose. And they gave me the confidence to where I got to face lefties. I'm be at the top of my game. And no matter who it is, I feel like I'm better than you today. Um, so you mentioned Davey Lopes and, uh, I'm a Rhode Island guy and he's, he's a Rhode Island legend. I played at the Davey Lopes recreational center a few times. Um, do you have any good Davey Lopes stories? Davey Lopes says, I tell everybody, he's the one that instilled that confidence in me. I came out to Arizona in 96 and played in the Arizona fall league and Davey Lopes was my manager and I was starting then. And I went like five and one with like a one nine. Mm-hmm. out here in the fall league and David Lopes is like, look, yeah, you got, you got what it takes. Don't ever lose that, that edge because off the film, probably laid back, easy going on the field. I'm like, F you dude, you know, if I hit you, you should have got out of the way. You know, <laughs> this is my plate too. And Davey, and then when I got traded to Milwaukee, Davey, you know, it's like, Hey, I told you, you had, the, you know, chance to get to the big leagues. Now let's make it stick. And he, he tossed me a ball and just said, it's your your job to lose, and they just gave me confidence to where right today I still have that baseball, and I'm saying somebody gave me a chance, and he saw something in me that maybe I didn't see in myself, but built that confidence, and it took off. Yeah. I mean, you played for a bunch of great managers in your career, um, and uh, would you say he was your favorite, the most influential one that you had in the big leagues? Or David probably was the most intimidated one. You look at David. Yeah. David always had that, that nice guy, but he had that demeanor like, you know, don't talk to me. Yeah. Where, you know, when he spoke, everybody listened. Uh, I think my favorite all time is, you know, Bobby Cox, because Bobby Cox is like playing for your grandfather to where yeah. you know, if you told everybody ever played for Bobby, run through a wall, everybody yeah. would try to run through the wall. And he took time to study the media guy. He knew your wife's name, your kid's name. And he got to know you on a personal level to where like one time I was like, hey, Bobby, my family's coming in. It's like, oh, tell Sherry Taylor, Brooklyn. I said, hello. Yeah. And that just gave you – it make you feel like more of a person than just an athlete. Uh-huh. But I think matchup-wise, it was probably Tony LaRusso because he always matched up where somebody's like, oh, why are you pitching on a 10-to-1 game? And Tony was, if you're okay, you pitch on a 10-to-1 game, you may not pitch in two or three days. Now you pitch this 10-to-1 game, get to work in. Tomorrow, it's a 3-2 ball game. You got work in yesterday. You're fresh versus going five or six days without pitching. Mm-hmm. And Tony's all, always believed in matchups to where – if you didn't succeed under Tony, it's because you didn't prepare yourself. Yeah, I mean, you got you were a part of a lot, of, a couple of successful teams with him too. Uh, and so the game's changing a lot now. And you look at your stats; you're no stranger to appearing in over half a team's games. Um, what are your thoughts on the three batter minimum reliever rule that's in place now? I think it's ruining the game. I, I, I think because a lot of times where 
games are won and lost with that matchup. You know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you got, you know, second and third with two outs and you got to come in and face that tough lefty to where you get that out. That could be a momentum swing versus you come in and there's, you know, first and second, you get that lefty out. Now you got to face a righty to where your matchup may not match up right then and there, but, you know, yeah. managers say, okay, let's get that lefty and we'll roll the dice with this righty. But, you know, if it doesn't match up and the righty get a hit, you lost that game to where, you know, I tell everybody, the game of baseball is pitch to pitch. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you got to do matchups and matchup win ball games, you look at back in the 80s with Whitey Herzog, get him over, get him in, and let's bring this guy to get this guy to left to get to the righty, get to the setup, and get to the closer to where all of a sudden now I think it's going to hurt the guys because now I got to face three hitters to where, okay, that may turn into a long inning to where I pitched yesterday, now I pitched today, I'm down tomorrow to where now. You know, the start to get knocked out of a game. Now you show it on the bullpen. Now that last guy in the bullpen may get option to trip away because they need a fresh arm, and yeah. he didn't do anything. Yeah, to where you know it's the integrity of the game that they're playing with. Yeah, and the main reason they said was to speed up the game. And you showed last year that didn't do it. It the games were actually longer last year once they implemented the rule. So it's not even doing what is initially uh, supposed to do. So, well, that probably hate me because you want to speed up the game, cut down on the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> but they're not going to do that because that's how they get paid. Well, yeah, advertisers love. Yeah, advertisers yeah. love when you came to the game though, because you're. Always- oh, I I love it. I come in throw one pitch and I'm like, let's go. I remember yeah. one time we're we're in uh, we're in Pittsburgh and uh, Bruce Freeman is yelling at me, let's go, let's go. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I looked at pitching our our Marty uh, Marty Mason, our bullpen coach. I was like, watch this. He's like, what? I said, watch when I go in the game. Just watch. So I jog in from the bullpen. I throw one pitch, and I was like, I'm ready to go. And they look at me like, punch out a watch lane, waiting on commercial. I was like, okay, you just rushed me to get out here. Now I got to wait on you guys. So it's so funny to where it's just, you know, you want to make money, I understand. But let the game play out because a true fan don't mind sitting there watching that game. Exactly, yeah. If you're, yeah, if you're watching baseball and just see, like, a two-hour game, that's just not going to happen. You can't – it's just you're watching the wrong sport. Um, right. So speaking of commercials, your nickname on Baseball Reference is listed as Burger King. Did you ever – did they ever hook you up with any deals back in your playing days or what? No, that came across in uh, San Francisco one day. Okay. This guy is yelling at me, yelling at me, and he's calling me, hey, Burger King, Burger King. And if I'm like, <laughs> stop warming up, I turn around, I was like, okay, I'm going to be Burger King, but you keep on, you're going to have it your way. <laughs> That's one of the best lines I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, so the, so t- two days later, I get a shirt in the mail. And it's a whole Burger King logo, but it says uh-huh. Burger King and Ray King. Have it your way. So it's pretty funny. Oh, my gosh. I need to get one of those shirts <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, like quick hitter questions. So you played with a bunch of great teammates in your career. Um, out of all the guys you played with, who is the teammate that would be the most likely – to uh, to pick out the music in the clubhouse before a game, uh, probably be Reggie Sanders. Reggie Sanders, okay. So you play, you play with him in St. Louis. Louis. St. Yeah. Louis, okay. Um, who would be the teammate that you would want to get the rally started, or you you'd want to be up the most in uh, in a situation where you guys need a big hit? Big hit, probably be uh, probably root Raphael for call back in Atlanta because he's always a table setter. Yeah, you know, Fuki could bunt, he can hit for power. He did a little bit of all. He was just that, you know, spark plug. Okay. Uh, who was your, if there were any, who was your least favorite hitter to face? 
Uh, probably least favorite would be Tony Gwynn and then, believe it or not, Juan Pierre. You know, Juan he never Pierre. did any – he never did damage, but he just fall off 9, 10, 12 pitches. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to throw 12 pitches to get out of here so I can pitch tomorrow. And he was <laughs> like, you know, never hit a hard but like a swinging bun or something like that or fall off 8, 9 pitches before he hit a ground ball somewhere. I'm like, just yeah. like that little gnat to where you see him, but you can't get it. Yeah. Yeah, you must have faced him in the 3 class, I'm assuming, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was always a favorite of, like, a lot of people. You always talk to – you whenever the name Juan Pierre gets dropped, like Ray King, too. You, they're right. like, oh, yeah, that guy's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So who would be the teammate that would be the most likely to help you out with your game if you ever had, like, needed, uh, like, a, a question about something, about a new pitch grip? Who, who would you go to for that? Well, me and Steve Klein in St. Louis, you know, both lefties to where we talked a lot about what you do to certain lefties, what I do to certain lefties, and – you're struggling facing a you know lefty or switch hitter what did you do what did I do so we we really commanded each other to where it was the only time where I had a federal federal lefty where it wasn't like oh man he's pitching more to me or he's doing this we were had an even kill to where our main job is you do your job I do my job nobody's going to talk to us nice just straight just get it get your job done and then you know get it like you said get your 12 pitches and get out of there get ready for the next day right unless you seem in a better there you go. Um, so the last question that I had, um, so I'm a high school pitching coach, actually, and I wanted to know if you had any advice to uh, that age level of uh, pitchers on how they can improve their well, game. Well, I tell every pitcher, when I work with kids now, I ask them, what's the most important pitch in baseball? And I hear, oh, change up, slide or what? I'm just like, no, the first pitch in baseball is a strike one. Because if you get strike one, the averages goes down, you're in control of that situation to where now you can make them hit your pitch. Because I'm a firm believer a hitter, you got one pitch you're getting. If you don't get me on that pitch, I'm supposed to get you out. So attack mm-hmm. the zone and not really breaking balls or all this. Is learn how to, you know, move the ball in, out, up, down. Because a lot of pitchers don't know how to elevate the ball when you need to. So learn how to throw strike one and be able to elevate the ball. Because you get the ball above the hands, that's the hardest pitch to hit. Uh, th- thank you so much, Ray. Um, this really means a lot. We hit, when you won the bracket last week, everyone was saying, oh, you got to get him on the podcast. So um you won the bracket pretty fairly easily i think uh you could say that um do you have an acceptance speech for uh, all the fellows that voted for you You got like nearly seven thousand votes throughout the whole thing well i appreciate everybody and that just goes to show to where you know quote unquote the average guy can go out there and just do his job and people appreciate it that's what i always took with me and everything i do if i go out and do my job then i get respected and just like this right here to where I'm open, happy-go-lucky, and I, I treat everybody the same. No matter if you're a billionaire, if you got $2 in your pocket, we're all the same. And I just enjoy life, and I appreciate everybody for voting for me. And uh, being mediocre is not bad. Exactly. And being mediocre <laughs> at the MLB level pays very well, and it, uh, you'll be remembered forever. You're a part of a group that's uh, very exclusive. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, it means a lot, and I uh, hope uh, – Hope you have a great rest of your day. Hope it's uh, perfectly right. average for you. I appreciate any time. Let me know if you need anything. All right. Thank you, Ray. Okay. Take care. Came home with the same flow, prolific From the south side, outside, no different So I'ma go get it And you can hop on it But not till I'm finished Oh, I saw you caught up on the weekend Yeah, I thought about it Oh, believe me Yeah, I've been missing since the weekend Ask myself
Since I met you, though it's hard to put the sun up in my eyes. Hear the cry.